Their jerseys may not hang in the rafters in Staples Center, but they hang in our hearts. You're listening to the Forgotten Lakers podcast. Hi, Mo. Hello. What's up, Jeff? Hey, how are you doing? I'm living the dream, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Sorry about that. Looks like I had your number down wrong. No problem, man. Let me tell you a little bit about the podcast. Um, It's all about former Lakers, you know, just basically what they're doing now, talking about their time in Los Angeles and their history with basketball. And I've been like pestering you about this for a long time, so I'm really excited to get you on the Lakers podcast, the Forgotten Lakers podcast. And uh, I've talked to a few guys that you would have been teammates with uh, back in the 03-04 season. I talked, I did an episode with Devin George, okay. um, Brian Cook, um, yeah. Jamal Sampson. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. God, that might be it for that year. I have to go back yeah. and look. But I think I talked to one of your old um, former Yakima Sun Kings teammates who had a training camp run with the Lakers. I did an episode with Paul Shirley. Oh, Paul. Yeah, old Paul, my buddy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he had a training camp run with the Lakers, I think, in 2001. So we just talked a little bit about that and obviously his other stops. But, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, getting to hear from former Lakers like yourself and each episode – you know, gets a lot of downloads, Laker fans all over the world, as you know, uh, remember all you guys and want to know what you're doing. So, uh, you know, one of my favorite guys that has played is Trey Sanders. Who is- uh, I'm sorry, Trey um, from Jackson. Trey, Dad, I might, um, oh, Trey Johnson. Trey Johnson. I'm Trey, I did, yeah, an, ep- Trey I did an episode with him. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, he He grew up under me. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he's probably, I would say, probably eight, nine, ten years younger than I am. Uh-huh. Uh But I've always liked his game. Yeah. Uh, I liked him as a person. He's a he's a great human being. And yeah, he, he was he, really he, nice. Yeah, he is. He he was a family man early. Uh, mm-hmm. But I can definitely appreciate that now. You know, being that I'm a family man now. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that is the one and only episode that I've done in person. Um, mm. I've done I've done about 31, 32 episodes now. His his is the only one I've done in person. Oh, wow. um, he he owns a barber shop just a couple miles from my house. Okay. And, uh, so he was posting about that on Instagram, and I saw right. that, and I I'd, I'd had the podcast going, and so I shot him a message like, "Oh, can I you know interview you?" And he said, "Yeah, come to the barber shop," and we did it in his office, and oh, it was nice. really cool. All right. Yeah, definitely. So what's keeping you busy these days? Um, being a full time dad. You know, they don't they don't they don't they don't necessarily say to you that it's a job. They don't tell you how much of a job being a yeah. being a parent actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously all the work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm very active with my kids. My two boys are, are in sports, and I have a two-year-old daughter. Oh, cool. Who, who's probably going to be my better athlete. Oh, really? Yes, yes. She tries to follow in the brother's footsteps, obviously, but uh, she's got an athletic gene in her body. I, I give credit to my wife for that one. Oh, very nice. I mean, you said your other two boys, are they're playing basketball now? Yeah, they're doing everything. Um, mm-hmm. I have my boys are eight and nine. 
And uh, unlike most people, uh, the fact that I, I played a sport and I know how much what it takes to be an athlete, I don't put that type of pressure on my boys. I let them play whatever they want to play at this age. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think until you're 13, 14, you don't really know what you're going to end up doing. You know, I played, I played football. I played baseball. I didn't start playing basketball until I was ninth grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I didn't, like, grow up in a gym like a lot of guys did. And Mm -hmm. uh, this probably is kind of sad to say, but I wasn't all in like most guys are. Uh, Like, I didn't didn't watch all the basketball games. I didn't, you know, I didn't do all the stuff that most guys do uh, coming Mm -hmm. up through sports. Uh, And I didn't really fall in love with it until I started playing college ball. And that's when I kind of fell in love with, with basketball. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive that you weren't, you know, fully committed and you end up going to LSU, like, you know, a big D1 program. How did, I mean, how were you able to, you know, get there with basketball? Like, wasn't necessarily a priority. Uh, I mean, I, again, I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I moved, uh, to, I went to stay with my dad when I became ninth grade. Everybody was playing basketball, so obviously I had to transition over to playing basketball. Uh, and I was just, I was just super athletic uh, back then. Uh, so mm. that that allowed me to get away with a whole lot of different stuff just because I was athletic. Uh, and then obviously, as I learned the game more, got better at it, uh, you know, uh, and ended up getting a scholarship. Uh, by my senior year, I kind of had put all the pieces together. Uh, as it relates to playing the game, so I ended up going to LSU. Were you six five in high school? I was. I, I was yes, yes. My by my senior year, I was six five. My ninth grade year, though, I was probably five. I had my growth spurt between my ninth and tenth grade year. Okay. Because I went from being about five eleven to six four in a in a summer. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah. That's yeah. nice. Um, yeah, it so, was. so did you, being 6'4", six, 6'5", six, in high school, uh, did you have to switch? I mean, were you playing on the perimeter as a guard then, or did they, as a bigger guy in high school, did they have you playing on the post? No, actually, I did not. Actually, I started, because, again, I told you I was 5'11", so I started playing point guard. That's where uh-huh. I started at. And then when I had the growth spurt, uh, my coach moved me to the wing. I started mm-hmm. playing the wing, and then I did play some center just because of size, you know, because I was getting up being six four and one of the tallest guys on the team, so I kind of mm-hmm. had to play. But it's obviously different than it was back back then. You know, you could be seven one and be a guard nowadays. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, back then, if you were above six feet, you were a big man. Just worked on just 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 you know working on all the different uh, positions from from the post to the guard. So you go into LSU. I guess that would have been ninety five. Yeah, ninety five, ninety six year. So what was the process that led you to get you to LSU coming out of Mississippi? Ronnie Henderson, who was at LSU at the time, uh, became one of my favorite players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of ended up being my my Michael Jordan. 
I kind of looked up to him, same way most people looked at Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And he was at LSU, and um, so by the time I started going through the recruiting process, and LSU started calling, you know, Bale started ringing, and I'm like, oh, I would love to play with Brother Henderson. And uh, ended up, Ronnie came to pick me up uh, one weekend to go down to the school. We hung out. We had a great time. Uh, and I was so, I, I was basically sold from that week. So you're there for four years, graduated in 99, um, but I know just your Laker year was 03-04. So what were you doing to uh, stay on the NBA's radar from 99 to 2003? Any and everything I could do. I played in every minor league that they had back then, from the oh, yeah. NBA to the ABA to the IPL to the to the uh, USBL, to any any league that they had, I was playing. Uh, you know, I was playing in it, and just being in the circuit and keeping, you know, keeping my activity going. That way, you know, different people could see me, and different coaches uh, were able to see me. And uh, my second stop, my first stop was the uh, a- the ABA. I played with the uh, San Diego Stingray. I love all these names that they have for those teams over there. <laughs> I know it. Yeah. I know it. But it was a it was a heck of a learning experience going over there. Obviously, becoming a professional, becoming a uh-huh. professional, you don't really get taught about how to be a professional basketball player. So it was definitely a rude awakening, and seeing how people come and and seeing how guys will come in to work to keep a job. You know, mm-hmm. me coming out of college, I'm thinking it's more of the, you know, okay, we're going we're a team, we're going to ride right together. Well, guys, we're coming in there to cut your throat. Uh, yeah, because they want that and spot, yeah. Right. And it wasn't a bad thing. That just was the nature. That's the nature of the game. It's the nature of the business. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn that very early, very early on, that I, that I, that I had to come in there with that same approach. Can you share any horror stories about, you know, the travel with those, you know, minor leagues or, you know, maybe not getting paid on time or getting paid at all? Um, with the minor leagues, travel wasn't obviously what it is when you when you when you move up. But yeah. it wasn't so so bad. Um mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I mean we flew we flew places. I, oh, didn't, okay. I didn't I never played on a team where we had to drive thirteen, fourteen hours. I took oh, okay. that back. I played in the summer on, I think, a USBL team to where we had to drive, you know, maybe eight or nine hours. Oh, yeah. But other than that, it wasn't anything, you know, too bad. Uh, not in the minor leagues. Uh, and as far as paying, being paid, all the minor leagues paid. The problem with being paid didn't start till I started going to Europe. Was that a priestery? Peristeria. Peristeria in Greece. Yes. Okay, cool. Greece. Yes. That was my first European experience. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about a nightmare. I'm, you know, I'm in a different country. Yeah. Uh, at the time, my girlfriend, who's my wife, uh, she was over there with me. So she, you know, that gave me a little bit of comfort. But just being in a different country and the expectations that they put on you, especially as an American, to come over there and save the team, and that's that's that, that's mostly the case for every uh, 
team in Europe. Uh, it was back then. The game has changed totally. Now the European players now are, are, are just as awesome as we are over here. So it's a little, little bit different. But back then, the American that was coming over there was basically coming in to be the man, to be the one that scored all the points or whatever the case might be. It's totally different now. You know, they would, they would, they would, for me, it was, they was expecting me to come in and put up 20, 25 points of pain uh, back then. And, you know, we, we had a decent team, but we started off horrible and coach, coaches getting fired and just going through a whole lot of stuff like that. Uh, and so I, I ended up uh, leaving halfway through the season when I was over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and going. <laughs> And the, Go ahead. And the difference, the difference, the difference too for that is that in Europe, if they don't want you, they will cut you. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you will be coming home. Uh, and, and and getting your money was definitely an issue back then too. They cut uh, you and they wouldn't want to pay you all that they said they would, and you had to go to court and all this kind of old crazy crap. So you end up settling, and. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a headache. That first that first little run was a headache. Oh, I bet. So then I'm just looking at the your rest of your teams before you got to the Lakers. You know, Kansas City Knights. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Yakima Sun Kings. Um, given that I'm a Dallas, Texas native, in what city were the Texas Rim Rockers? We were in Dallas. Oh, really? Weird. I've never yeah. heard of them. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, we played out in. Um, God, I can't remember the area. Can't remember the name of the area we were in, but yeah, it was in Dallas. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. So, were you, were you living in the Dallas area at that time? I was not. Uh, a friend of mine, Jamel Rich, mm-hmm. uh, who I played minor leagues with, was playing. He was going to play on that team, and he kind of asked me that I want to come play in it because uh, he and the coach were real cool, and so I was like, "Yeah, I come to Texas," you know, because I was. At the time, I was working out in Houston uh, during the summers, mm-hmm. so you know, one but a couple hour drive to drive up to drive up to Dallas. Yeah, never heard of it. I'll have to do some more research on them. Just the Texas Rim Rockers, another great name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay, that was 2003. So you're getting closer to your Lakers stint, and you're playing with the Gary Steelheads, the Dakota Wizards. And then what was the breaking point that led to you getting into that training camp in the fall of 2003 with the Lakers? Like, what was the process that led to that? To getting into the camp or me actually? Yeah, first get, first getting into that camp in the fall. Yeah, yeah uh, before getting onto uh, the team I, lady. I had, uh, I had a great uh, summer league. I actually played with the Lakers that summer mm-hmm. uh, in the summer summer league. And just had a, and just had a real good showing out there, and they they invited me to camp uh, for the upcoming year. Just had had, had a great summer league with them. Uh, so you go into that camp. This is the fall of two thousand three. So the Lakers had just lost when they were going for the four straight title. They retool the roster. They bring in Gary Payton, Carmelo, and a few other guys um, along with Shaq and Kobe and Phil Jackson, who are still there. So. Did you have kind of like a like a welcome to the NBA moment, like where you were in like shock about who you were being coached by or who you were playing with? And, and I think I think most athletes would say this 
once you get into that circuit, that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I never, I personally never was awed by that. Mm. Uh, it was always, it was always, this is my job. This is what I got to go do. Now, you know, deep down, obviously, you know, I'm around Kobe and I'm around Shaq, you know, obviously, you know, I have my, my personal thoughts about it, but yeah, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a big concern because I had a job to do. You know what I mean? So, Oh, that's true. Like, and I didn't think it's not like you had just come out of college. You had been a professional for, I guess, about five years by then. A couple of years by then, yeah. 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 So it wasn't a big thing to be around, you know, just to be around those guys. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I already knew different guys at the time and played with them all summer. Uh, you have to spend time with a lot of athletes in Houston uh, during those three, four years when I was working out there. I met Katrina uh, Mobley and Steve oh, yeah. Francis and, you know, uh, a lot of different guys all summer. Um uh, my guy, um, right now, uh, he won a championship with the Celtics and I think with the Heat. He's a coach now. Oh, James Posey? Posey, yeah. Posey was out there, and mm-hmm. everybody used to be out there during the summertime. Uh, uh, D. Jones was out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we had nice pickup runs during the summer, and again, I was around those type, those different guys. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of used to, used to that environment by the time I got to count. I did another episode with somebody who was telling me that Houston was like a real hotbed at that time for like pro pickup games. Oh, um, yeah. Was that, uh, did you know Tier Brown? Oh, my God, yeah. Tier and I actually, he I think he was a year younger than I am. Uh-huh. Uh, and we were in the same boat. Like we were out there, you know, we were out in Houston and we both were fighting and trying to figure it out, figure out, find our way and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Tierra had had really had gotten into it, and he he had already knew a couple guys, and uh, he was he was playing, and we you know we all were playing down there during the summer, and uh, people that are not in the industry that don't know the grind that you have to go through, mm-hmm. don't know the politics of it that you have to go through, you know all the different factors that come into play, you know a guy like Tierra is a he had to force his way through the door. Yeah, he had to bust his butt me. every time. He had to bust his butt every day. You know, guys like he and I, we can come in the gym and play pickup ball and just have a subpar day. You know, mm-hmm. we had to go at people's head every single time we stepped out on the floor because we were trying to get to where most of these guys were at. Oh, that's so, so cool so, to hear. So when Tier gets called up, you know, and gets on with Houston, mm-hmm. you know, other people are looking like, man, how in the world he, you know, but a guy like myself can smile and be proud of him because I know what it took for him to get to that. And I know yeah. that he, he could play and he was very deserving of getting to it because not only could he play, it's almost like he, you have to go around the world again, but the opposite direction. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, you have to bust your butt. You have to be, every time a guy is working out, you know, if, if Katina Mobile is working out at 6 o'clock, you're going to be there. Yeah. Steve Francis has to work out. He, he works out at 6, and Steve Fran- and, and Katina said, well, I'm going to work out at 12. You're going to get to that one, too. 
Because oh, yeah. you want to be in that environment. You want to do with these guys. You want to learn from these guys. But at the same time, you want to be around them because your name, your name is on their tongue, and then they may say something to their agent or to this GM or to that person. And so your name, you know, is, is brought up in different conversations, and that's kind of how it how it ends up happening, you know. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, um, yeah, I've kept in touch with Tierra a little bit. Uh, so I'll be, yeah, I'm going to have to definitely tell him that we talked about him and that you had great things to say about him. And uh, oh, yeah. if you get a chance, uh, his was one of my favorite episodes. Just, uh, you know, he was saying a lot about the same things, a lot of the same things, just, uh, you know, the grind of, having to get noticed and pick up games and just getting non-guaranteed deals and then eventually catching on. So, yeah. and, 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 and the beautiful part, and this is kind of getting a little bit off the subject of me and, and just talking about my kids and, and, and about what we're creating for them. Uh, during my era, we didn't have those. We didn't have mentors. We didn't have older guys really pulling our coattails and teaching us, what the, you know, the, the, the ropes as it relates mm-hmm. to the progress, uh, process of how you go about doing these things, you kind of had to bump your head. You kind of mm-hmm. had to go through it on your own. Uh, and that, that that's even including having agents and different stuff like that. Uh, and it's so awesome for me, like with my kids and the environment that I'm building for these kids now with, the, with our program is that, you know, we're putting them in position to be successful uh, not just with the basketball. This is with anything because these kids are young now. They're 8, 9, 12, 14 years old, mm-hmm. and they may not be athletes, but because they're in the environment they're in, they're learning about having a team and using your ability and your skill to enhance your team. And mm-hmm. that's how we promote. That's, how, that's what we do to promote uh, what we're doing because we want them to understand anything that you do, any profession that you have, Okay, you're probably going to have a team around you, and you have to be able to motivate your team as well as you take your skill and use your skill to enhance your team around you while at the same time not looking at me. It's not about me. It's about us winning. It's about everybody winning because it's, if, if, if most guys will learn this early, if you are known as a winner, a coach will be more apt to pick you up than to pick a guy up that has more talent. So, so I teach my kids all the time it's, it's, it's to be a winner. It's about winning, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and we don't use the word losing in our, in our practice. I never talk about losing because none of us are losers. What I tell my kids, you're either going to win or you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. Oh, One yeah. or the other. We're not going, it's not lose. You're going to learn. Okay, you didn't win the day. What did you learn from it? What what could you have done to help your team win the next time? And that's yeah. how you move forward. Because saying the word loser, you know, you lose. You know, people. Some people may accept that. Some people may be, you know, may end up saying, "Okay, well, I guess I am a loser." No, I don't want you to. I don't want you to think that way. I want you to learn from that. You're always going to be a winner. Mm-hmm. Learn from from learn from it, and then try to win. Try, try, try to try to change it and win after that. Getting back to your uh, training camp with the Lakers in the fall of 2003. So like I said, they had brought in uh, Gary Payton and Carl Malone, uh, a few other guys like yourself and rookies like Brian Cook, Luke Walton. Um, 
you know, Kobe had some off the court issues that off season comes back into camp and him and Shaq are starting to butt heads again. Was that something you could sense every day? Like the friction between those two guys? I think, I think the world made more out of it than anybody did. Really? I think so. Uh, you got two alpha males. I, I don't care who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they go, you go bump heads. You, you know, and, and and because they were where they were and they were who they are, I think people blew it out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they had yes they had their moments, but they had their moments because they're both competitors and they both wanted the ball. Yeah, it's that simple. But I think people made it more than what it really was because I never saw I I never saw you know either one of them not speak to one another or 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 have something very negative to say about the other one. I mean, even though I'm sure that, you know, that happened, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't see. Uh, do you have any, um, so you're, yeah, I think you, you'll be the first guy I could ask this question. Do you have any, uh, stories from Gary Payton or Carl Malone? None of the other guys from your year have really talked about them. Gary Payton is freaking hilarious. Okay. Uh, and he's very intelligent when it comes to basketball because he will definitely talk you out of your game. Mm. Uh, and if you're not strong-willed, he 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 got you. He got you. Carl Carl Malone is one of the greatest human beings on the face face of this earth in my eyes. Oh, why is that? Just a great guy, a great human being. I'll give you my Carl Malone story. So we were in bed, we were in bed count, and <clears throat> it was on a Sunday, and I was listening to my gospel music. I had my headphones on while we were on the bus going to mm-hmm. practice. And so Horace Grant was sitting in front of me. So Horace turned to me and said, Maurice, uh, Carl, he was pointing to the back, and I called one. So I looked to the back, and Carl said, take them damn headphones off. So when he said that, you know, where I grew up, you know, I'm I'm not gonna back down from no man that come at me. So when he said that to me, I looked back there like, man, whatever. So I turned back around and and, and kept listening to my music. So Horace catched me again to look back there. I looked back. He said, and called, said again, take them headphones off. And so I screamed back down. I'm not taking nothing off. <laughs> so I kept my headphones on, right? So I turned back around. And, of course, now my blood rushing, <laughs> running now, because yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm arguing with Carl Malone. And so Horace looked at me. He said, Maurice, would you just do it for me? And so I took my headphones off. Now, again, I'm frustrated. I'm pissed off because I can't listen to my gospel music. And mm-hmm. so... um we get to practice. Carl wasn't practicing, you know. He was he was still kind of injured at the time, but he was doing the treadmill and different workouts. Oh yeah. And uh, and so we went through a practice. I, I had a horrible practice that day because I was frustrated. Yeah. And so after practice, ironically, I ended up in the in the uh, training room, and Carl ended up in the training room. So now we sitting by one another. So when. I was in there first. Carl walked in, and Carl walked right over there to me, and he said, Maurice, I just want to apologize to you. He said, I, I didn't know that you were listening to your gospel music. 
you know, I'm sorry about that. I thought you had some some of that crap on, whatever. He's like, I'm sorry, you know, and and, and you know, went went from there. For him to come up to me and say that was huge. To acknowledge that, and from that day forward, he and I would sit around and talk. We would talk about different things here and there, what have you. And he's he's definitely not the Carl Malone that plays basketball. Uh, Carl okay. Malone that plays the game. You don't want to see him. He'll knock teeth at your mouth. But the Carl oh, yeah. Malone, the person, is a totally different human being. Oh, cool. No, that's uh, first the Carl Malone story I've gotten out of anybody. So, um, yeah, that was neat. And he, and he's, a, he's, a, he's a country boy, too, like me. You know, I mean, uh-huh. he's, he's a little bit more extreme than I am. Uh, but. You know, we had we had some stories we could talk about hunting and fishing and all that old kind of stuff. So, oh yeah, yeah. So you go through camp and they wave you towards the end of camp. Then I guess they brought you back in February of that year during an injury wave where you know a lot of the guy, a lot of the players were hurt. They need some guys to fill in. You end up playing four games with the Lakers during the regular season. And I think it's, you know, I was, I actually, I remember watching some of those games uh, when you played, like I remember the game against Philadelphia where you, you played a lot and you played against Iverson. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. and I went back and looking through your Laker games, you in four games, you played against Reggie Miller, LeBron James, Iverson and Yao Ming. Yeah. 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 That was pretty cool. That yeah. That's really cool. cool yeah. Really, yeah. Really was. Uh, and LeBron, you know, obviously I had heard about this freak of nature, um, but I witnessed it. He got a breakaway, and he went and did like a backwards windmill type of dunk. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this guy, yeah, this guy is unreal. Yeah, he, he, he's definitely from another planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, in those games you showed, uh, I mean, you played well. You showed you could score in two games. You had nine points with the Lakers versus Cleveland and then Philadelphia. I've been looking for highlights. I found some highlights of Iverson that game, so I, I can see you on the court. But I couldn't right. find any of your baskets from that game. But I'll, I'll find it eventually and post them on the Instagram. I can say this because it's been 10 years now. Uh, but my time playing there, uh, I was so not – the Maurice Carter that was playing in the minor leagues. Really? No, I wasn't because I was trying to go in there, and this is definitely for young people to hear, because I was going in there to do specifically for what Phil told me to do. Phil told me, I want you to go in the game, I want you to play defense, and I want you to move the ball around. Well, mm-hmm. you're telling a guy that, that who in the minor leagues, I, I was – Kobe in the minor league. I was the one shooting the ball. I was the one, you know, putting up all the points. Mm-hmm. So when I when I transitioned from being, you know, the guy that's mostly shooting the ball to trying to fit into this system and not be myself, I was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I always relate back to the Philly game to where I think I played like 25 to 28 minutes, a, a yep. nice chunk of time, but I think I only had like four points. Two or four points. Yeah, that nine. I'm looking at the stats right now. You had nine that game. I had nine. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, I was totally uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I was not being who I was. 
and, and I'm saying that to say to young young guys now, do what you do best always. Don't try to to don't try to become something else because other people say, well, you need to do this or you need. If you're a scorer, go score. If you're a rebounder, go rebound. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do best, do that. And don't you know you always want to work on your skill. You always want to get better, and that's fine and dandy. But do what you do best. And I have one story for that with uh, probably my favorite coach of all time, Bernie Bickerstaff. Mm. Do you remember Bernie? You know Bernie, right? Yeah. Was he? Uh, oh, wait. Is that when you got to Charlotte? Yeah. Yeah. But I, Bernie coached me when I was in the AB, ABA. Oh, okay, okay, Louis, yeah, yeah. St. Louis Swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernie taught me that valuable lesson about doing what I do best. He sat me down, we watched film, and on the film, the first five possessions, I, I was going right. Well, I made one of five buckets going right. The next mm-hmm. set of five was me going left. I was five for five going left. Oh, <laughs> And so Bernie asked me, he said, Maurice, uh, you know, would you rather score 10 points or two points? I said, of course, 10 points. He said, then, you know, you're trying to prove to everybody you can go right, but you scored every single time that you went left. He's like, don't try to prove anything. Do what you do best. If they let you go left five times in a row, go left five times in a row. Mm -hmm. You know? And that, and and after he said that to me, I mean, it, it registered, and from then on, I didn't try to do anything. To, I didn't try to force anything. I didn't try to prove, okay, I can go right. You know, mm-hmm. I can score going right. If it happened, it happened. But you know, I would always get to what I did best. Yeah, like I say, you get those four games in L.A. And then, so when you're talking about trying to just do what Phil Jackson is telling you, was it like in your mind that you're just trying to do what he's saying so hopefully you can stick on past the 10-day contracts or i'm sure that had something to do with it yeah uh, but i was just trying to you know i was just like okay he actually told me i need to go play d that's what i'm gonna do and i i just wanted to do like i said what he had just told me to do mm-hmm. and I, again i was so uncomfortable i mean there were mm-hmm. times in the game i could i could clearly remember uh, you know, AI is AI, but AI has to play defense also. And there were times to where AI was on me, and I had AI in the post, but I would try to run the offense. I would try to do what I need to do, whereas what I should have said was pass me the ball. Let me, you know, I got AI yeah. on me. This little guy, let me, let me score the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, again, you live, you learn. Uh, and that's what happened with that. Yep. Um, go on, finish the year with the Hornets. And uh, it's cool. Your first game with the Hornets was against the Lakers. Do you oh, remember that? That? that was a great moment because obviously all the guys on the Lakers, I, I ended up getting in the game and I had to shoot some free throws. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I heard it from every single body on the bench. Uh, yeah. But it was it was awesome how they embraced me when I saw them. You know, uh-huh. uh, it was that was an awesome moment for me uh, when we did play them. Yeah, so that was the one time you got to play, I guess, the regular season game in Staples Center as a member of the Hornets. 
Um, yeah. Finished the year out there. I know y'all made the playoffs with the Hornets versus the Heat. Um, so you and got the. I was going to say he got to go against Dwayne Wade. And that series went seven. Oh, you know what? I did an episode with Shimon Williams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he was, he talks a lot about that series. I, I, can, I, get, I can only assume what he told you was that we should have put either him, myself, somebody else in the game and took mm-hmm. Barron out because Barron was hurt. Yes, he talked about that. Yes, Barron should not have been guarding Dwayne Wade that last yeah. few minutes of the game. Somebody else should have been out there guarding him. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And Dwayne deal with Dwayne do and finished us <laughs> off. And then he talked about um, how Steve Smith hadn't played basically the whole series, and he played in Game Seven and came out on fire. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember watching that game, but yeah, I talked about that with Shamond um, oh, yeah. from his from his uh, Hornets days, and then he caught on with the Lakers a few years later. Right. Yeah. Jamal had a great career in my eyes. He had a, he had a pretty solid career. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, moving on, you finish, go, uh, I mean, you finish with the Hornets. Uh looked like you played overseas, Mississippi Hard Hats, and then Girona. Yep. Girona yep. Spain, um, yeah. which I loved. Uh, I love playing in Spain, uh, and that's why I ended up hurting my knee for the for the final time to where, uh, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was going to ask what led to you uh, calling it quits in 2006. Yeah, it was my fifth surgery. I think oh, gosh. Fifth knee surgery, and I had, um, I had a um, microfracture. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's obviously where density in your bones, you know, and uh, I, I didn't recover from it. Uh, by, by the time, by the time um, I got to, I, I got to Girona that season, I ended up re-injuring it in the second practice of the season. Mm. And uh ended up having, having to have my last surgery. Uh, oh, well, my next last surgery because my last one was here in the States. And then I shut it down after that. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much, Mo. I really appreciated you getting to share a little bit of your basketball history and obviously your time with the Lakers. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate you doing this. I know I've been uh, asking you for a while. So this will be a good one for Laker fans and, um, awesome. you know, help hope everything continues to go well for you. I appreciate it, man, and uh, thank you for thinking about me uh, and, and, and staying on me about it. And I'm glad oh, yeah. I brother. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it again. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. You too, Jeff. We'll talk. All right. Bye.